The Apostle Paul wrote to a very, 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 very messy church. A lot of things, but eventually this in chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have all prophetic powers, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. You were probably doing pretty well this morning so far. It is not irritable or resentful. Well, yeah, there we go. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned. Like a child, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. I love that at the beginning of that, as the Apostle Paul was pushing back on some of the issues that that church had, they were jealous of each other, they would esteem one gift as greater than the other, he was saying, I a lot almost with a tinge of sarcasm, right? And then he moves into a definition by description of love. Verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. I see a, a little bit similarly in myself when I'm using the word I a lot in my head or out loud. I did this this week. I'm tired because all this stuff happened to me. I, and I could just tell, a friend pointed this out years ago, that I was saying I a lot. It's like a spiritual barometer of my relative spiritual clarity or emotional health. Maybe that isn't the case for you, but I notice I'm saying I. I'm focused on myself, and it's partly because I'm tired, and it partly shows my natural state, which is a sinful man who is not going to and does not know how to love well. And the reason, the first point in the outline is the tired human. The reason that we're tired is we're afraid of a lot of legitimate things in life. The reason that we're tired is sin. You and I have sinned against other people, which is really tiring. You and I have been sinned against, which is really tiring. You and I are just fatigued over this life. I was talking to a good friend in between the services and we just started listing the things that we've gone through this year and the things that our brothers and sisters have gone through this year. And we're really looking forward to 2018, but knowing it might be a fatiguing year too. The reason you and I are tired is because we've experienced pain. And the answer to our fatigue is a healed heart. The Christian gospel is that you and I come into the world with a heart of stone. That's from Jeremiah 17 and 31 and Ezekiel 36. Jesus references it regularly when he call, talks about the new covenant. That's how we're, we come into the world. And when we are pursued by Jesus, he gives us a new heart. 
And then he begins to teach us to love well. As a church, as families, as individuals. And there's some good news mixed in with the bad news there. um, Which is that you and I on our best day, in our natural state, are amateur lovers. And when we admit that, it doesn't get us off the hook learning how to love better as a church and as individuals. But we remember that we're amateur lovers. We're freed into the humility of the with God life. Our uh, culture, in my opinion, is very in love with love. And I know that a couple of weeks ago when I referenced Chicago, some of you are like, I do not. I don't. You just lost me because you even know that band and I was kind of thinking about maybe singing a little Adele up here you know right it would go really poorly and so I said I came up with another illustration but I just want to say out loud I believe our culture is in love with love but it's only certain kind of love so we're going to watch a trailer of a movie that I have not seen yet so if you've seen it and want to come talk to me after church don't do that unless you can do that without spoiling the movie It's got great reviews and I think reveals all sorts of things. And I think from what I've heard, it's a brilliant movie. Let's watch this and just consider how in love with love we might be. Hey, is Pakistan in the house? Really? I would have noticed you. This was fun. It's going to have all new birds. Your travel will be ready soon as he puts on his pants. I have to tell you something, babe. I've been dating this girl. She's white. A white girl? It's okay. We hate terrorists. Can you imagine a world in which we end up together? I don't know. I'm looking for Emily Gardner. She was checked in. There's an infection. We put her in a medically induced coma. You should call her family. I think it's screwed up with your daughter. Yeah, it is. Let me give you some advice, Kamal. Love isn't easy. That's why they call it love. I don't really get that. I know. I thought I could just start saying something and something small would come out. This is Zubeda. For your files, your ex-files, that's your favorite show, huh? The truth is out there. <laughs> I really want to see that movie. Both because I pay attention to reviews, but also because I love movie sets. Well, cats. Our tech team did not know until like 10.21 this morning that I wanted to show a video, so all that's on me. The tired human is an amateur Love. We're in love with love, but isn't love so much more robust than romantic love? Isn't it bigger than that? I, I got the wonderful privilege of uh, performing a wedding ceremony yesterday, and a woman who had been married for seven years was sitting with her husband. They have two little kids, and she came up to me after the sermon, the homily that I gave, and I'm, I'm brief at weddings, I know, but that's people are not there to see me. And um, she said, thank you so much for saying that we're going to fall in and out of like with each other because that's the reality well what if romantic love was all we had so I think parts of our culture are in love with love and yet the natural human is an amateur 
at love. And love is bigger than that. And so we turn to God because of the work of Jesus Christ and the ever-presence of the Holy Spirit. And we ask to be grown in love. And that's the promise, by the way. If you're considering the gospel of Jesus, the offer is internal peace, eternal security, and the fact that we will be grown in love in fits and starts as God removes from us the broken and not loving parts and adds loving parts. What we're looking at today is learning to believe. What does that mean? That love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Looks great, cross-stitched. What does it mean? I think it has to do with today. I think it has to do with you and I today. Hope is about who the the person that we're interacting with can and and will become. Enduring is is being willing to, to stick it out in relationship, which we do not always get to do. And certainly do not always have to do. But love does stick around. But belief is about today. Belief is about being able to look at another person and believe they're made in the image of God. There's hope and good in them and then interact with them that way. And man, it's hard, isn't it? I heard a story this week about someone in our church who was taken advantage of financially and it makes me so sad and so angry at the same time. And the reason that they were taken advantage of is because they're a follower of Jesus. You and I, as we're grown by the Holy Spirit to believe in other people, we will be taken advantage of. I don't like telling you that, but I got to be honest. I'm positive than in the last year I've been taken advantage of. And yet as a follower of Christ, what's the alternative? Cynicism? Skepticism? Or just as a human, what's the alternative to believing in people? It's to not believe in them. To not trust anybody. And there would be a lot of legitimate reasons to not trust. And yet a follower of Christ is being grown, even now, in these areas. You remember that time that someone asked Jesus who his neighbor was? He told a story. You probably remember the story. We call it the Good Samaritan, which is a pretty good name for the story. What's the point? Those that we interact with that are in need, they are our neighbor. How do we believe in them? I don't know. You all have resources, limits, skills, blind spots. So do I. We acquiesce to the Holy Spirit growing us in believing in people. And that's not just us as individuals. That's not for those of us that are married and those of us that are parents. All of us are someone's child, though it applies to those things. It's also us as a church. Austin, would you uh, roll that giant bin down here? Look at him snap. We didn't even talk about this, and he's just listening to his pastor. What a, what a kind fellow you are. You hear that squeaky wheel? That's the Holy Spirit's conviction. I'm just kidding. So this is a way, as a church, we are trying to believe in our community. Thank you, sir. We're going to collect food for the food pantry. 
And it's small. That's a small thing to do that once a month. Some of you give to food share already. Some of you live in different towns and you're already doing this. Do not worry about it then. But as a church, we're, we currently exist in Simsbury. And there are people that need food in Simsbury. And so we're going to do our best with the food pantry. You know why? Because Simsbury is perfect. Nope. You know why? So people come to Joe Jesus. Nope. That's not why we're doing it. Do we want that to happen? Yes. Is that why we're doing it? No. We're doing it because followers of Jesus believe all things. They're for their community as best they can be. And that's why we're calling this ministry, at least right now, Faithful Presence. And you're like, I haven't even heard of it. Well, read your bulletin. <laughs> Sorry, was that too harsh? <laughs> as I've said before, New Englanders are underwhelmed by my attempts at temper. It's a small thing, and we're doing other things. A couple of weeks ago, one of our elders shared that once a week he goes down to Hartford, and he is a faithful presence with some young men and women. We have some folks here that go down with the church army, and they are a faithful presence in the city with some homeless folks. We're attempting to be a faithful presence to Simsbury as best we can. We are a limited body, financially, time, skill set. But we're going to do what we can to believe all things. Does that mean we affirm all things? No. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. But do we show up because we are followers of Jesus? Yep. So once a month, you might not have known this because you don't get on the website every day. That's okay, though you should. It's a great website. Once a month, we're going to collect food for the food pantry and we're going to take it down. Deliver it to their social service thing. And again, listen, if you're already doing that, Good job. Don't worry about this one. Just stay present where you are. A lot of the founders of this church were the most faithful food pantry supporters over the years. They would go every Tuesday, and they would go to the bakeries and bring food back, and they're well-known, very quietly, humbly known. The tired human learns to believe in the neighbors that we interact with and in our community, and we learn to resist boasting. This doesn't fit perfectly with believe, but it kind of does, because when we boast, what we're asking for is that people believe in us a little stronger. And the reason that we want them to believe in us a little more is we want to be known and loved. It's a very human desire. It's a good desire. And boasting is a not good way to try and receive that good desire. It's a destructive way to feel known and loved. I use that phrase a lot. Did you see the Apostle Paul say it here in verse 12? Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And from multiple other places in Scripture, and fully loved. So what we do when we're boasting, we want to sense that others know us and love us. Good desire sought in a bad way. The funniest version of boasting that I'm learning in myself, I have some friends that are uh, increasingly successful, and I want you to know that like they're my friend. And on the one hand, I'm like proud of them. But on the other hand, sometimes it's boasting. Like I can tell by the way I tell them the story. I'm expecting you to be impressed that I have successful friends, and I'm like, what is that about? It's this broken sense in me. It's the, what the scripture would call my flesh. 
convincing me that I need to convince you that my friends are a big deal so that you'll then kind of give me a little bit more honor. You got some one-uppers in your life? You know those people, if you tell them something hard, they're going to tell you something harder? You got to meet a celebrity, they got to meet somebody who was more of a celebrity? You ran a 5K, they ran a marathon? That kind of thing? I lost a friendship once because I had a friend who was a one-upper, and I told a story, and he started in. I said, no, not this time. Don't do it. Don't one-up my story. (laughs) This was 20 years ago, and we haven't really been friends since. And here's the thing that's so interesting about boasting. Everyone in this room has strengths and gifts that would impress other people. Every single one of you. And it's okay to let people know about your strengths. But not through boasting. had a really tricky version of this in in seminary. Um, I know all of you are very impressed with my academic credentials. But for the most part, when I went to seminary, I would wear jeans and a t-shirt. And I did not... I just wasn't an impressive student to the other students. And so we're in Greek 3. And a bunch of the students find out that I'm not in their Hebrew class because I tested out of Hebrew. I know that doesn't surprise any of you. But they were very surprised. And um, what I said was, well, you know, the semester before I entered seminary, I studied every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 10 p.m. to 12 p.m. because it would save me about $1,000 in a semester. And I took it in college. And if you're willing to do that, you could probably test out too. And you saw this little glimmer in their eye. And here's how I interpreted the glimmer. Boy, if Blazer could do it, it probably couldn't be that hard. <laughs> and not one of them tested out of Hebrew. And, and that's fine. But I was stuck in this, in this moment of like, hmm. So I did, you know, pass the test. But it wasn't just because I'm super smart, although clearly that's true. And all these guys kind of think that they could do it too, and I'm pretty confident they're not, you know, but I just stood there, quietly. You know, you, you and I have gifts and skills, but we aren't to boast about them. We are to, as a follower of Jesus, resist boasting. It doesn't mean people don't know your skills. My friend George over there, 70 years old, and he shows me how to chop wood. Did you know that when you get the axe stuck in the wood you can flip it over and hit the back of the axe head and the wood will split? Some of you know that, and I didn't know that. We're chopping wood, and George said, let me show you something. He didn't boast about it, but you know what it would have been mean is if he hadn't done anything and let me keep hitting it with a sledgehammer, which is a far less effective way of splitting the wood. But he's not boasting about it. He has that gift and skill. So what's the application? You and I pray that the Holy Spirit would help us resist boasting because it isn't loving. And what do we insert into boasting? Knowledge that we are loved by Jesus and that he will honor us and acclaim us all that we need and the honor of others. And then we remember the gospel is a living argument. So in our temptation to boast, I can feel loved and honored if I tell you about me or about my friend or about this celebrity. That temptation, we notice it and we shove into it the living argument of the gospel of Jesus. That he lived the life that we couldn't live, died for us, purchased joy, and we do not need to boast.
This goes for us as a church, too. We have a lot of really wonderful programs, and sometimes we forget to consider whether those programs are the best for our community and for this community here because we're a little overly proud of them. doesn't mean there's anything that I can... I'm not thinking of anything specifically. I just mean churches have to learn not to boast because we're constantly trying to reach people that don't yet know the gospel of Jesus, and we're constantly trying to learn to love well here. That doesn't mean we're not strong in certain areas either. But it means we resist boasting and ask the Lord to grow us up away from it. And what it feels like is when we choose not to boast, there's less of us because that person doesn't know that story that's going to be so impressive. But the gospel of Jesus says that's actually more of you. You're being grown into more of yourself as you enjoy the Holy Spirit helping you resist boasting. It's counterintuitive, but it is the claim of Christianity that we are more ourselves when we acquiesce to the Holy Spirit's growth into patience and kindness, away from envy and boasting and arrogance and rudeness. And insisting on our own way and irritableness. And into rejoicing with the truth. And into learning to bear with people. Believe them. Hope. And endure. A tired human learns to believe in people. And resist boasting. And to trust God. With all the things. With all the stories. With all the gifts. You are gifted. You do have strengths and stories. You don't have to hide from them. <laughs> I got to pick up one of my favorite... I'm just going to name drop. Try, I'm trying to do it with humility, and I think you'll see my point. I got to pick up uh, my, my favorite Christian author in the whole world from an airport like 10 years ago, John Eldridge. And I got to spend hours with him driving to and from a conference. And when I would reference one of the stories... For a couple of years, and my gentle, sweet, beautiful, hilarious wife would mock me because she was right to do so. I would, I would just reference him as my friend, John, because I didn't want to be name-dropping. <laughs> but I wanted to tell a story about all the cool things we talked about, like the Lord of the Rings and all the dorky things that he loves and I love. But it's okay that I got to spend some time with him, and I trust the Lord with that. And you're not impressed because he's not your favorite author. That's fine. I was reverse bragging in that moment. I didn't need to do that. It's okay that I got to spend a couple hours with him in the car. And he cussed and I loved it. We should take that out of the live stream. (laughs) The tired human learns to believe and to resist boasting and to trust God with all of our stories and all of our gifts and all of our blind spots and our limitations and our tendencies to sin. The offer of the gospel of Jesus is the internal peace of being believed in by him and atoned for because of the work of Christ. The offer is eternal security that we sense in a deeper and a deeper way. And the offer is that you and I can be grown into better lovers of God, of one another, of our community as a church. That's the offer.
If you're thinking, why become a Christian? Why participate in any of these Christian things? That's it. That's the offer. Internal peace, eternal security, and inevitable growth. Unstoppable growth into a man or woman who is a better lover of neighbor. We will get burned until Jesus comes back by that. And it is infinitely better than the alternative of cynicism and fear, resistance to community. Why trust God? Why show up and sing about Him? Why learn to pray for all of the needs in our life and all of our own anxieties? Because in that, we're engaging with the Holy Spirit. We're believing more deeply that we are known and loved. The application is then to accept the elements. You know what communion is? It is a contented, active sigh. God's got you. And he'll never let you go. He'll give you increasing internal peace, eternal security, and he'll turn us into better and better lovers of him and of one another. I'm going to pray and it might get a little noisy as our kids come in. Father, would you help us? Would you help us as individuals, as families, as a church to believe deeply that we are known and loved by you? That the work of your son Jesus atones for our sin, draws us into new life. Father, for those of us who are disoriented, give us peace. For those that are considering your gospel, would you impress upon us the offer of real life, here and eternally? For those that are joyful, Lord, would you increase our joy with the filling of your Holy Spirit? And Father, as we take the bread and the unfermented wine... Would you help us to know that you've got us and you will never let us go? In your name we pray. Amen.